Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Householder and the House edition. This week, we're explaining what happened in week one of Larry Householder's trial, how a fight over House rules got so contentious, whether Ohio's new voter law is the strictest one in the whole country, and why Ohio might change marijuana laws as it relates to driving. Joining me on this snowy afternoon is reporter Haley B. Miller. Welcome back. Good to be back. And before we get started, I want to make a quick pitch that if you find open to be interesting, informative, or in any way helpful, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. More reviews means more potential eyes on what we do, so thanks in advance. Our first topic is the big public corruption trial unfolding down in Cincinnati. Two and a half years after the FBI raided Larry Householder's farm, the former House Speaker is finally getting his day in court. Opening arguments were this week, and they painted two very different pictures. Federal prosecutors say this was a pay-to-play scandal. Larry and his, quote, enterprise got more than $60 million in bribe money to pass a law that would have given First Energy a billion dollars in return. Householders' defense team says the government got it all wrong, and Larry never took a bribe. It's so surreal that this trial's finally upon us after so much anticipation. I think it's going to be really interesting to see if prosecutors can meet the challenge of trying to explain some really wonky issues in a way that a jury understands. I mean, we're talking energy policy, dark money. It's all very confusing, even if you pay attention to politics. Yeah, I think that's the challenge of any large, complicated trial is this is going to go on for four to six weeks. There's going to be a ton of expert testimony, like how to bring it all together, right? How to tell a cohesive story because you have to set all the evidence in, but then they also have to tell the story. So yes, you're going to have to learn what decoupling means if you're on the jury, but you're also going to you know, get to hear some pretty salacious wiretapping. Yeah, and there are a lot of, you know, secret conversations that were recorded as part of this this investigation that could come out. It'll be interesting to see if we learn any new details or I think, you know, the big thing that people are waiting for, if any other Ohio elected officials are implicated in this, you know, even going up to, you know, the DeWine administration. Yeah, I mean... It's going to get interesting. Uh, And there will absolutely be some days that are very like dry and technical, but there's definitely going to be some bombshell days. And trust me, we will have it all for you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Our second topic is about rules, specifically the rules that govern how the Ohio House operates. And this might sound strange, but that was actually a big fight this week. To understand why, you have to go back to the beginning of January when we elected a House Speaker. Republicans have the most seats in that chamber, so they got to pick the Speaker. But they unofficially chose a guy named Derek Marin back in November. But then in January, a group of them had buyer's remorse or went rogue or however you want to define it. But basically, they got together with Democrats to elect this guy named Jason Stevens. And that upset the people who supported Marin. And they wanted some changes to the House rules afterwards. They had a a list of agreements. You might call them demands, but Stevens didn't entertain any of them. He didn't recognize the members on the floor Tuesday, and he passed his version of the rules with Democrats. And they, I mean, you know what I'm going to say? They were pissed. Yeah, it's if there was going to be any hope that these two different factions of Republicans would mend fences, I think that pretty much went out the window. Oh, yeah. With the rules vote, uh, the Marin faction was very upset by the end of this. Um, but it's worth noting there were some pretty um, controversial rules that they wanted to propose as part of this. You know, some of it was procedural, dealing with legislation. But there was also one that would have allowed members to carry guns on the House floor. There was another that would have said that only Christian prayer is allowed to start uh, a session and that, you know, there are Jewish members of the House, there are Muslim members of the House that... Yeah, that's a go. non-starter for Democrats, especially. Right, and even Republicans, I mean, Representative um, Bill Seitz said on Twitter afterwards, he's just like, this This was a shameful thing. It would have been embarrassing for any Republican who voted for it. Yeah, and that was, you know, I think one of the challenges. They were, they were trying, the Marin group was trying to get Democrats possibly on board for some of the more procedural changes like that would weaken the Speaker's office or uh, make it easier to have floor amendments or give speeches. Like, there were some procedural changes that could have potentially benefited the minority party, but if you open it up to debate, you therefore open up to the potential debate on carrying firearms. Now, totally fair. There's a bunch of Western state legislatures. I've worked in two, Colorado and Oregon, that allow members and even members of the public in certain states to carry guns. So that's not like completely out of the blue. But this only Christian prayer is the opening prayer. That that would have been pretty unique to Ohio. Yeah. And what's interesting about the timing of all of this, especially over this effort to strip the speaker of some of his powers. You know, obviously the Marin contingent's very unhappy with Jason Stevens right now, but as we noted down in Cincinnati, we have are seeing the consequences of a very powerful speaker. Yeah. And that was one of the arguments that the Marin camp was making, specifically like Phil Plummer. He was like, look, you know, we had a dictator of a speaker and he was corrupt. And giving the speaker this much power opens the door to that corruption. Not that like Stevens or anybody else would necessarily walk through that door. But when you have a lot of money and you have a lot of power, like, I guess the temptation is there is what Plummer was saying. Yeah, but at least, you know, for the time being, House Speaker is still going to be a very powerful position. Stevens is going to have... If he can hold his caucus together. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There is a caveat to this one, uh, because he doesn't have enough Republicans to pass anything. He can partner with the Marin camp. He can partner with the Democrats. But it looks like he, as of right now, he's got to partner with somebody. Yeah, they're not. It'll. Who knows? You know, to what extent things are going to get done in the House, especially with the budget coming 
up. I mean, they need to pass the budget, get it all buttoned up by June. And, you know, hopefully we can get there. But things are just very, very messy in the House right now. Yeah, the House Republicans actually have a uh, retreat. It's they every every caucus does this at the beginning of the year. They get together at some like lodge or hotel for a couple of days and they bond and have dinner and talk about things. And there's this next week, early next week. And I'm like, oh, to be a fly on the wall at their cocktail hour. Yeah, that, that'll be uh, fun. Interesting. Yeah. So our third topic is about driving under the influence. When you get pulled over in Ohio, they do a field sobriety test and they can ask you to submit to a breathalyzer or a blood test. If you're positive on either of those, you can be considered automatically guilty. And that makes sense for alcohol, but it's more complicated for marijuana. So Haley, you've been covering this for our team. So why don't you walk us through what's up with the OVI laws and why they might need to change? Yeah. So Ohio has what's called a per se law, which, as you noted, if your body has a certain amount of drugs or alcohol in it, urine tests are the most common. They also test blood sometimes. Um, you're automatically dinged with a D- an OVI. Senator Nathan Manning wants to change this for marijuana cases. You know, he was saying you know, the science is very complicated with marijuana because it stays in your system long after you've ingested it. I think your story said like a month sometimes after. Yeah. If you're a regular user, like, you know, like a lot of the medical Mm -hmm. cannabis patients in Ohio, I mean, it can stay in your body up until 30 days on average. It's at least a week usually. So Manning's bill would say if you're pulled over, you take a test and you have this level of marijuana in your system, you can try to prove that even though it was in there, you weren't impaired, you weren't driving while high. Um, and medical cannabis sometimes is very low in THC, right? The, the psychoactive, the part that makes you feel high. There are some medical strains where you actually can take it and not get that feeling. Right. So, so it's even more complicated, like in terms of. It's so murky and it, it really is not as clear cut or alcohol as alcohol or some other drugs. And so, you know, I don't know that this is like a perfect solution yet, but Manning's bill is attempting to address this. He brought this forward in the last GA and it didn't go anywhere. We'll see if that changes this time around. And other states that have legalized medical cannabis and even recreational use, um, they've kind of started making these changes, right? Yeah. And no one, I mean, it's been such a difficult issue. I mean, even, you know, states like Colorado who have, were among the first to legalize anything, you know, I don't, when it comes to traffic laws, I don't know that anyone's figured out a perfect solution. There's no breathalyzer for marijuana like there is for alcohol. And it's just a more complicated drug. I was talking to someone about this earlier this we again, you know, he suggested there may never be a perfect solution to this just because of the science. Yeah, it's it's what I think it really boils down to is you can't tell from, say, the urine test if somebody took this an hour ago and they're high or they took it two days ago and they're absolutely stone cold sober. Right. So, you know, this would give people a chance to make their case because right now they can't. So, you know, it's it's a very technical change in kind of the criminal justice process for OVIs. But I have a feeling, you know, it would be popular among especially the medical marijuana users here in Ohio. And I think as marijuana becomes more and more legal across the country, it's something that like states are just going to have to deal with. Yeah. Because you don't want to be giving like these can have really serious consequences on your ability to drive cars, to commute, to keep jobs. They are expensive violations when you get them. Like if you're giving them to innocent people because of a P test, like that's really complicated. Yeah. And, you know, no one is out here saying that like people should be driving 
Irene while they're no. high. Like, it's just a matter of... How do you know they're high? Right, right. Our fourth and final topic is Ohio's new voter ID law. And this is something Haley has also been covering for us. Um, she analyzed how strict the new rules, which go into effect this spring, are when you compare them to other states. And so what did you find? So Ohio's law is definitely up there, um, possibly the strictest in the country in terms of the photo ID law. This is based on what different states allow for photo ID, what qualifies as a photo ID. So Ohio, for example, doesn't allow student ID. Um, driver's licenses can't be expired. They have to be Ohio licenses. Um, there are some states, I think it was like Mississippi, you can present your firearms license. Other mm. states allow you to present some other form of government ID. So it's really narrow for Ohio and proponents of the law say this will make the elections more secure. And they also point out that this bill would also provide free state IDs to anyone 17 and over. So there is an attempt. That's like the poll tax issue, right? That you can't have to pay money to vote. Yeah, so this this would remove that barrier, but critics of the law say that, you know, that still doesn't solve all the problems. Yeah, and wasn't there some questions about your address? So, like, if you move, you're technically supposed to get one of those little stickers for your ID with your new address, but, like, hardly anybody actually does it. So what what's kind of the deal there in terms of, like, if I have the wrong address on my current license? So, strangely enough, you can... There was a lot of debate over this during Lame Duck, but... The law, the version that passed, you can't have an old address on your driver's license as long as that license is not expired. So, you know, you you might need like a second form to prove you live where you live at that point. Is that like... Yeah. And I mean, in some ways, I think that kind of defeats the purpose of part of what you're trying to confirm at the polls, right? But, yeah. you know, people will... You know, I think typically they just ask you your address and you give it verbally. So it's not necessary to have it on your ID. But that is one thing that they wrangled over during lame duck. Yeah. As somebody who <clears throat> does not have her correct address on her driver's license. Well, I don't know. And one more thing before you go. We have been inundating you with householder podcasts and we're actually not going to stop. We have a brand new podcast on Monday morning and it will be every Monday morning. We'll be catching you up on what happened in the householder trial the week before, what you can expect in the next week, and any juicy little tidbits that you can only get from being inside the courtroom, like the faces that Larry's lawyers were making that got them admonished by the judge during opening arguments. So make sure to check Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen Monday morning to hear what happened in week one and what you can expect in week two. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Kent Record Courier. That's record-courier.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.